0: do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had given. So Luke is explaining Theophilus in the first book, and remember which book was the first book that Luke wrote, that he wrote? Luke, Luke. yeah, Luke wrote the book of Luke. (laughs) He wrote the book of John, or Acts. Acts is like Luke part two, okay? Now Theophilus, in the first book, I wrote all that Jesus began to do. And to teach. Now the neat thing. I love that. Have you ever heard a teacher or preacher explain how Jesus began to? But in part two, it's the continuation of what Jesus is doing. Now through his disciples. Luke is about what Jesus began to do. Acts is about the continuation. What Jesus is doing now through his apostles. Through the Holy Spirit on the earth. Okay? Okay. The um, we're going to read verse two and three until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the first thing we see that Jesus did with his apostles is that he convinced them. He convinced them of his resurrection. All right. So um, after Jesus died upon the cross, it says that in verse 3, notice it says that he presented himself alive um, to them after his suffering by many proofs. So can anybody tell me what's one of the proofs that Jesus Showed his disciples after his death. Uh, uh, breathed into them uh, oh. uh, after he was dead. Uh, let him put their fingers into his holes. Okay, so he showed them the scars in his hands because they were freaked out. They're like, it's a ghost. And he said, No, it's me. Feel the scars on my hands. Okay, from the nails that went into his hand. Where was the other place they thought? The sign. So those were some of the proofs that Jesus presented to the disciples. What's another proof? Yeah. He ate bread. Okay, he ate. He said, do you have any bread or any fish? They gave him bread. They watched him eat it. Didn't look like a ghost. I mean, you think about how altering this would be. This would be shaking for anyone. And so to, to show them... This is not a mirage. This is not an illusion. It says that Jesus presented himself alive with many proofs. My, my version says proofs. What does your version say? Infallible. Yeah, I like the King James. It says infallible proofs. Okay, infallible means like you can't contradict this. Like there's no, there's no other option. Um, it's so certain. Anybody else? Another version? Infallible proofs. Huh? Convincing proofs. Yeah, these were convincing things. Now, this is different from other religions. You know, this is different from what people claim um, because we hear of different religions where maybe people had a vision or they saw something or they dreamed something. This is different because we're talking about a man who died and then was buried and was brought back to life. Okay? And not only that, they didn't have a vision. They all touched him. They felt him. They ate with him. They watched him eat. Jesus, over 40 days, presented criteria of certainty so that the disciples could be certain certain of what they saw. I believe Jesus wants us to be certain of him. Jesus wants us to be certain about what we believe, about the gospel. And it was ultimately very important that the disciples... Know for sure. They were witnesses in a special way. Um, Now, if you think about a witness in the court of law, when a witness comes in a court of law, um, they're forensic witnesses. Okay? They present evidence based on what they've seen, what they heard, and what they touched. This is the kind of eyewitness accounts the Bible talks about Jesus' death and resurrection. These are men who claimed, and women who claimed to have seen, And heard and felt Jesus. And that's what John, when he writes in 1 John, he says, That which we have seen and heard, um, that which we have touched with our hands and seen with our eyes, that's what we're proclaiming to you. So. Could I ask a question? Yeah. Well, in Acts, he appears to the disciples and he allows them to touch him. But yet in John, I was reading yesterday, when Mary Magdalene, chapter 20, yeah. verse 17, right. he tells her... Don't cling to me. Yeah, because he hadn't ascended to his father, but yet mm-hmm. he lets the disciples. Yeah. So I, I don't... Because he wouldn't ascend to the Father for 40 days. Right. Why did he let the disciples touch him but Mary? No. I don't. And notice he didn't, he didn't say, don't touch me. Um, yeah, John. Didn't he go to the heaven right for, like, for a little bit before he came back to his two disciples? Or? Um, you know, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. So that would seem to say that Jesus was in paradise. No, I don't think so. I think what we're talking about there, um, we have in the ascension is Jesus taking the throne next to the Father. Um, I think what we're seeing here is, uh, is the one possibility is that Mary is a woman clinging to a man, and that was kind of inappropriate on some level. Um, in that culture, especially, you know, they're not married. <laughs> Um, you know, Da Vinci Code gives us enough trouble just making it, making up stories, and so Jesus is still holy, still pure, and says, "Don't cling to me; I'm not ascended yet." Um, but he doesn't say, "Don't touch me," "Don't see that I'm real," right? Um, okay. I and so, probably- so I think the purpose was different. It's not about; it wasn't so much about proof with Mary that he was real, and that was different from maybe the disciples. Now, it says that he appeared to them over a period of how many days? Forty days. Now, during that time, the Bible also says that Jesus appeared to 500 eyewitnesses at one time. Um, Paul testifies that 500 eyewitnesses saw him alive. And he said most of whom are still alive at the time of his writing the book of 1 Corinthians. And so a lot of the New Testament letters are written very early on by eyewitnesses. And that's what's claimed. That's what's claimed in the New Testament. Um, So Jesus convinces them of his suffering and of his resurrection. All right? Now, what about you and me? Does he convince us? Yes. The word faith means to be persuaded or convinced of something. What you and I claim, we claim that we are persuaded or convinced... That this Jesus died and rose from the dead. But here's one thing. I haven't seen him. I haven't touched him. I haven't felt him. So how do I know? A couple, um, Anybody, any input? How do we know? How are, how are we convinced that Jesus died and rose from the dead? Because he sent his, us his Holy Spirit. Okay. So through the witness or experience of the Holy Spirit who is here now. That is one eyewitness, or one um, testimony, testifying. Uh, The Bible, because it's kind of hard to interconnect all this stuff and just happen to be made up. I think the greatest evidence that we have is the Bible itself. The New Testament eyewitnesses' accounts, but not just their eyewitness accounts, and the accounts of those who knew them and saw them, uh, to the church fathers, but also the Old Testament predictions. This, is, this was prophesied for thousands of years that a man would be born and that he would die and raise from the dead, that he would suffer, that he would be of the line of Judah, of the tribe of Israel, that he would sit on the throne of his father David, that his body wouldn't see corruption, that they would pierce his hands and his feet and that they would gamble his garments. You know, um, there's hundreds of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Another thing I think we could look to is like historical i like, um, so, you know, Romans existed, so then Romans well, oh, yes, uh, the Romans the Yes, The New Testament is not treated as fairy tales. People say, "Well, you know, the Bible's fairy tales." Uh, you talk to a historical scholar, they'll tell you, no, it's a history book. It's a history book. There's over 25,000 discoveries, archaeological discoveries, that confirm people, places and events in the Bible. Now maybe scholars don't believe the miraculous parts about the the New and Old Testament, but it's undeniable that the Bible is a history. It's it's history, um, not just fairy tale. So there's many there's many evidences. Samuel, God, yes, I was going to say we have our own testimonies and our own testimony, our own experience, and that kind of ties in with the Holy Spirit's witnessing. Um, we have our own experience with this. It's not just something that we read or not just something that we, um, that we are convinced of intellectually, but there's an experience to it as well. I mean, and as anybody who would find out your story would find out, um, experience is confirmed, this is true. Uh, creation. The yes, existence of everything. Yep. For from the beginning, God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through the things that have been made. So that man is without excuse, Romans chapter 1. And so I think Jesus wants us to be certain of what, what we believe. And he wanted the apostles to be certain, not to be guessing. And there were going to be heresies that were going to arise in the church later that saying Jesus didn't come in the body. That he rose spiritually, but that he didn't raise physically. And the apostles denied this. You'll read it in the New Testament. They said that is of the Antichrist. No, we touched him. We saw him. We felt him. We know Jesus rose from the dead. So let me ask you, are you convinced of Christ's death and resurrection? To be convinced of Jesus' death and resurrection, you also need to be convinced of your sin. That we've sinned, that there's something within us that is wrong. That's not right. That testifies that I've done evil or wrong. There may be a witness inside me that says that I've been separated to God. I feel like I'm not close to God. I feel far away from him because of the things that I've done. This is the testimony about sin. And when we become convinced of this, we start reaching out for a Savior and find that God has provided a means for us to be saved. Our sins have been paid for. Through the sending of his son in human flesh to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. And not only that, he raised from the dead, proving that God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Proving that there is life after death. And death is not the end. Proving that there will be a judgment and we will all stand before that judgment. Are you convinced of this? If you are, then you know that there is hope. That there is forgiveness of sins. That there is salvation. Life isn't the end. And if you are convinced of this, you also know this. God loves you. And that he demonstrated it by suffering on the cross. He demonstrated The creator of the world was willing to become a man and to die a criminal's death. For you and for me. See, the reality is... I think Christianity is the best story you've ever heard of. I remember I was telling a girl one day about what the good news was, and she said, Sam, it sounds too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. But if we're talking about a God who is all good, all powerful, all knowing, then it is good, and it is true. And this God loves you. And that has proven that. What hope. If this is true, there's something else. If you are convinced of this, this means that Jesus is Lord and he must be obeyed as Lord. It means that my life belongs to him, that I've been purchased with his blood, and I owe him my allegiance and my obedience to obey him. So Jesus not only convinces his disciples, he commissions. Then, Okay, in in verse 2, it says, Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Do you remember what those commands were that Jesus gave to the apostles before he left up into heaven? Evangelize. Yes. Yes. Evangelize. Who's got Matthew 28? 19 through 20. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I think I do that. All right, Cindy, when you get it, and then while she's doing that, whoever's got Mark 16, 15, um, be ready with that one. Okay, we're going to listen to the commands that Jesus gave the apostles. And one question that I'm going to ask you, are these commands just for them, or are they for you and me? Okay, I want you to think about that. Um, Cindy, are you ready? Yes. Read nice and loud. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Okay, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Um, So, this is part of Jesus' commands to the apostles. You are to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? Huh? A believer. A believer. Yes, they're a believer. Huh? A follower. Yes, a disciple is not just a believer, but a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Now, was that a low commitment or a high commitment to follow Jesus? You remember where Jesus went? He went somewhere. Oh, yeah. He went to the cross and he said, follow me. Is that a high commitment or a low commitment? He said, oh, by the way, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. The call to follow Jesus is costly. It costs your life. But you can't keep your life anyway. You have to give it up at some point. But what he offers us is eternal life and abundant life. Um, What else is a disciple? There's one more meaning to the word disciple. Student, Student, yes. A disciple is a learner or student. It comes from the idea of being taught or taught once. A disciple is a lifelong learner of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, go and make lifelong learners of me in all the world. Now, let's hear Jesus' commands to the apostles from um, the book of Mark. And he said unto them, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these sides shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he will be received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word, with signs following. Amen. Alright, what was the command Jesus gave in Mark sixteen? Go preach. into the world and preach. preach. Preach the gospel. The gospel to who? It says every creature. Okay. That was his commissioning to the apostles. But then he talks that God is going to confirm the message through signs. All right? These signs will follow. Now, does it say that it will follow the apostles? It says these signs will follow who? Those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. They'll handle deadly snakes and not be hurt. They will speak with new tongues. Wow. And then it says that Jesus went up, and the apostles went out, and the Lord worked with them, and confirmed the message through signs. So when the apostles went out preaching, God did miracles through them, confirming the message. Yeah. Oh, didn't hear. So, but it says that the signs will follow those who believe, as if the Lord wants to confirm through your life and mine the message of the good news. Yeah, John. Wasn't there one more commandment to Terry in Jerusalem? Yep, and we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Good, very good. Um, who's got Luke 19, 13? Anybody got that? You got that? Andrew, read nice and loud Luke 19, 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Okay, so Jesus tells the story of a master who calls ten of his servants And he gives them 10 weights of money and he says, engage in business until I come. I think the King James says, uh, occupy until I come. Jesus has gone back to the Father, but he has left his good news message in our charge. And he says, engage in business until I come. You and I have, uh, you and I as servants have business Attend to. He has commissioned us with a good news message, and you and I are to engage in business until He comes. Now, we all aren't given the same amount, we don't have the same entrusted to us, but each in his own respect, the Lord has given and entrusted gifts. He's given um, talents, he's given knowledges, he's given relationships and people. Each one of you, if you think about your life, you're in a different place. You have a different sphere of influence. In your place with what God has given you, he commands, engage in business until I come. Let me ask you, do you know that you've been commissioned? Hmm? Do you realize that you have been commissioned? That you are part of the mission? And that Jesus, as the Lord and Master, has entrusted something to you? Has to do with the good news. It has to do with the gospel. But here's the thing: you need to be convinced of who he is first. If you're not convinced about Jesus—that he died and rose from the dead, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world—then the commissioning is not for you. The commission is for those who are convinced of the message. All right. When Jesus returns and he settles up with the servants, what will he find that you have engaged in business on his behalf? Or will he find that you have been living for yourself? That you have not been treating him as master's Lord? That you've not been obeying his commands? Um, What will he find will be the product of your life? You've been entrusted with a mission. So what can you do in preparing for that commissioning? One thing you can do is study Jesus' commands in the Gospels. Become a disciple. If you're not a disciple, you can't make disciples. You've got to be a disciple first. Okay? The student has to be a student before he can become a teacher. And the best teachers are the best students. See, the best teachers are the ones that they are always, te- they're always learning. They're always growing. You and I never stop learning about Jesus. The more you learn about him, the better you will be able to make disciples about him. The good news message, the better you understand and are convinced that Jesus has the words of eternal life. If you are convinced that this message can save from hell, you will share that message. You will share that message. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are preserving what is good in the world. In a world that is increasingly growing dark, you carry the light. Jesus said, don't put your light under a basket, but put it up on a stand that it may shine to all in the house, and people will see your light and give glory to God who is in heaven. Now, Who has Jesus placed you around? Look at your family, your parents, your children, your neighbors, your co-workers. This is what God has entrusted to you. And this is going to be the area that he will use you for the mission. Have you been thinking in those terms? Have you been thinking in that way? Now, when you think about that, maybe that's overwhelming. Lord... I feel guilty. I feel like I've not been living for the mission. Now, I'll tell you, there's many times in my life where that's how I felt. Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid. I stumble over my words. How do I witness for you? How do I make an impact? I don't know how to disciple. My well, beloved, Jesus doesn't just commission us. He empowers us for that witness. He will empower you. For that witness, you think about Mary. Mary was this young girl when the angel shows up and says, "By the way, you're going to have the Savior, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to conceive Jesus in your life." And what does Mary say? Does she say, "Lord, that sounds like a big job. I might mess it up. I'm not sure if I'm going to discipline enough. I don't know." As if you needed to discipline Jesus. But um, you think about how overwhelming that would be for a young girl. To, to be told that she's going to have the savior of the world, and not only that, everybody's thinking that she, she's, that she uh, slept with someone and had an illegitimate child, just that pressure in of itself would be kind of overwhelming. What does Mary say in response? Let it be done to your servant according to what you said. Mary just accepts the mission. She accepted the mission, and Jesus and, and the Lord God empowered her for that mission through her life. In the same way, the Lord will empower you for the mission that he has provided for you. Now, I want us to read about how Jesus empowers and explains the empowerment to his disciples. Um, Verse four in Acts chapter one. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, as John was pointing out earlier, Jesus, one of the first instructions Jesus gave to his disciples was not to go. It was to wait. The opposite of going. He didn't want to send them out without the empowering Of the Holy Spirit. As he gave instructions in in Luke chapter 24. He said. But wait in Jerusalem until you have. Until I have sent the promise of the Father. And you will be clothed with power. Jesus wants his disciples. Not just to carry his message. But to carry his power. Okay. And that power comes through the Holy Spirit. You and I are not left alone to try to carry out this mission. You really shouldn't feel so much weight on your shoulders as if you are not able to do it. God has provided a means, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key to witnessing for Jesus Christ. Do you understand this? You think about the mission briefing, right? Right? After you're briefed on the mission, then you get the gadget scene where they go through all the gadgets that will help them reach their mission. Um, God equips us for the mission through the Holy Spirit. Now that phrase, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, we probably could use a whole separate sermon on what that phrase means. You may hear different things about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, um, Well, let's break it down just linguistically for a second. John baptized with water. The word baptized means to immerse, you know, to dunk. John dunked you in water. He baptized you. He dipped you into water. But remember what John the Baptist said. He said, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me is mightier than I. I'm not worthy to untie his shoelaces. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's all John talked about. Was that there was going to come somebody who was stronger than him. Who could give you a greater strength. See, John couldn't change people's hearts. John couldn't give them a new heart. John couldn't help them to only do what was right and to not sin. He could help them repent and to look for the coming of Jesus. But John didn't have the power that Jesus does. See, Jesus has the power to change you from the inside. Out To make you a new creation. To give you a new life. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. He immerses in the Holy Spirit. I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking about the new creation. About being made a new creation through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit comes to indwell. In the book of Acts... And Jesus makes all these promises. He said, if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he said this, it's it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go, then I can send the Holy Spirit. Jesus thought it was to your advantage that he not be here, but that the Spirit be inside of you. That's striking. What's better than having Jesus next to me? Having him in me. And that's what he said he was going to do. I think when we speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the indwelling, the Spirit coming to indwell. Okay? Um, I think we're talking about the new creation, the regeneration. When we read through the book of Acts, we'll study it through the book. We'll learn about it through the book. But... The evidence that people had received the Holy Spirit, or it's it's equated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is to receive him. The reason why I'm telling you this is because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is talked about differently in different places. Some churches will tell you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from getting saved. That you've been saved, you're a new creation... But, but you've not been baptized in the Spirit yet. They make those two things separately, and you'll see why as we read through the book of Acts. We're going to see why, where this comes from. I think that we are baptized in the Spirit when we trust in Christ. I could be wrong. I think that's what the Bible teaches, and I will show it to you. I'm okay if we talk about it and discuss that. Um, I think it's important. That's a discussion for another day. That's probably a whole sermon or a series of sermons, really, um, on that topic. But that's what I'm presenting to you, and you can test it. Read through the book of Acts. Um, Read through the epistles and see how the Holy Spirit is talked about. Um, But Jesus promises empowerment, okay? Um, Now, notice the Holy Spirit is called the promise of the Father in Acts verse 4. Um, He is the promise of God to you and to me. One reason why Jesus died and rose, why Jesus died upon the cross, is so that you and I might receive the Holy Spirit. It was that important in the plan of God. The Holy Spirit is not a footnote to the Christian life, He is the secret, He is the empowerment, He is is the enablement for you and to me to keep the commands of Jesus. He is essential. I don't know if you come from a background where people talked about the Holy Spirit in church. um, But he is essential to the mission. If we don't have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit, I, I think that we will majorly be hurting as Christians. I don't think you're called to live a defeated life. That you're just to be tossed to and fro by sin. No, Jesus has given victory through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That Christ in me might live through my life. The Holy Spirit is so important to what we do. And he is Jesus' presence here and now. He is moving in our midst when we gather to worship. He is moving in your life and directing you when you go home and when you live throughout the week. And he wants to guide you into all truth. Now, Jesus, uh, I am going to just talk briefly about how the Holy Spirit helps us witness. Um, and then, let me see, we're at 32 minutes. Okay. Um, somebody read John fifteen twenty six. Did I pass that one out? Yes. Okay. Uh, Karen, read John fifteen twenty six about the Holy Spirit. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. One role of the Holy Spirit is that he bears witness. About Jesus, who's got First John five six. First John five six. No, that's okay. Um, I think I uh, think Jeremiah's got it. This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is true. The Spirit is the one who bears witness. To the one who came by water and blood. That's Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to bear witness about Jesus. Now, another thing the Holy Spirit does is he bears witness to unbelievers. Okay? And here's how he does it. In John 16, verse 8, Jesus explains. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one that convinces people that they have sinned and they are sinners, that they have done what is wrong. I remember the story of a man who, uh, he was in the army, and he tells me of the day that he committed murder. You would think somebody who was a sniper for the army would know when he commits murder, but he remembers the day when his scope went on a civilian and not on a soldier. Of the opposing enemy. And he said when he shot down the civilian. He said he heard in his head. That was murder. He didn't believe in Jesus. He wasn't a Christian. But he said he knew in his heart at that moment. He had committed murder. The Holy Spirit convicts. In regards to sin. He also convicts and guards to righteousness our need to be made right with God and how to live rightly before God. He is the one that shows how to live rightly. He also convicts in regarding judgment, that there will be a coming judgment and that we will be repaid in the judgment. The Holy Spirit convinces the unbeliever of the truth. Now that's comforting that you don't have to be an expert arguer. In fact, it's probably better if you're not an expert arguer. You have to share the message, and the Holy Spirit will bear witness. He will bear witness in the heart of that person. One of my friends that I had in college, his name is Josh Givon. Josh said he was sitting in a sermon. His mother had been praying for him for I don't know how many years. He was living a wild life, and he said he heard in church the verse in Isaiah that says... um, I think it was Isaiah 6 that says, um, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And when he heard that, immediately he said he knew that was true. Why? Because the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth, it hits us. The Holy Spirit is the one that will enable us to carry out the mission. You and I don't have to do this alone, but you have a helper. And he is powerful and he is able. And he knows the hearts of people. That's comforting for you and for me. And so, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to be talking what does it look like to be a witness? And how can we trust and lean on the Holy Spirit to bear witness? And we will be doing this until Jesus returns. So, Jesus finishes out in verse 9 through 11. When he had said all these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And, he said, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus has commissioned us. He has empowered us for the mission and then he was taken up from the disciples and as they're gothing, staring up into heaven probably just I don't know, that would be quite the experience angels kind of give a little cue why are you looking up into heaven? This one who's gone up, the same guy is going to come back the same way you need to remember that how is Jesus coming back? he's coming back on the clouds you need to know that Because many will come in his name and say, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You need to know how Jesus will return. And you and I have been commissioned and empowered until his return. We are to engage in business until he comes again. And one story that I'll share with you, during the lockdown... Olivia and I were walking, it was Easter, I believe it was Easter evening, or it could be the night before Easter, but I think it was Easter day. We were walking near our apartments and we came across a girl whose name was Kate. And Kate, we knew, she had moved into the apartments, living with her boyfriend. She, um, they, they would fight no matter hour of day or night. I remember waking up at three in the morning and hearing them cussing outside Fighting and shouting. I know that they had the cops call on them many times. Um, and uh, we checked in on them. Well, um, the boyfriend moved out and there was abuse. She, there was abuse. Uh, major abuse going on um, on Kate, on um, what was happening to Kate through her boyfriend. Her boyfriend moved out. And I remember I had an opportunity to pray with her. She told me her boyfriend had moved out. And I hadn't had an opportunity previously to pray for her. And so I asked if I could just pray for her and ask the Lord to come and heal. But uh, so here Olivia and I were walking around Easter night. And we come across her. Her dog is, is, is doing his thing on the grass outside. And I remember as we were chatting, a question just prompted in my mind. Ask her if she knows what Easter is about. And so, yeah, got an opportunity. Hey, do you know what Easter is about? And Kate responded that she kind of knew, not exactly, but yeah. And uh, turned out, it opened up a door for a conversation. We were able to share with Kate the good news, that even though that we have sinned and done what is wrong, and that there is a judgment, that God has sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is has for sins and risen from the dead and gives eternal life to any who would believe upon him. And as he shared, Kate was just, she was just following along and she said, I need this, I need this. And she was ready. I mean, that's about as ready as I have seen. Uh, she was ready to pray right then and there to trust in Jesus. And so we prayed with her to receive Jesus as her Lord, her savior. And uh, we're just kind of blown away by the opportunity. What Kate told me later is that the first time I had come and asked to pray for her after her boyfriend had moved out, she said that a peace settled over her that wasn't there before. She said she woke up with peace. She also said that she started to heal, she felt like there was a healing going on in her heart. After all the abuse, after her boyfriend had moved out, and keep in mind, she doesn't know Christ yet. She's, but she also said that she started thinking about her sin, that she had, even though she had been wronged by her boyfriend, that she had sinned against him, even. Is't that crazy? thinking about the way that you sinned against your abuser? And so she had ordered a Bible, and she had been talking to God. And she ordered herself a Bible. Before that Bible had arrived was when Olivia and I had an opportunity to talk with her. Not knowing all that was going on in the background. The Holy Spirit had been working in her heart through her life and was bearing witness to her the truth of the message. Our job, we don't have to force through it. We don't have to bang our head against a wall. We will have to break some ice, but we can do it. Our job is simple. The Holy Spirit has been given to empower us and help us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's my challenge to you today. Have you accepted the mission? Do you understand the mission? And I guess the first question is, are you convinced of the message that Christ died and rose from the dead, that he's the Son of God? If so, will you accept the mission that is being commissioned to you? And if so, you need to offer yourself in surrender to the Lord Jesus. Maybe you feel like you haven't been engaging in his business until his return. Lord... Confess it. His sins, he's already paid for that. You offer yourself a nail. And ask him to fill you with his spirit. And one question I want you to think about as we go. Why are you convinced about Jesus? If somebody were to ask you, why are you convinced about Jesus Christ? What would you say? I want you to think about that this week. Because perhaps... We will pray that the Lord will open a door for you to be able to share that. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us eternal life. And that you have given us a purpose and a task here on earth, a mission. And that you enable us for that mission. Lord, I pray that you would wipe away fear. Wipe away any intimidation that people are feeling. Or any guilt that they're carrying you that you've already taken that, you've already borne that, and that you are ready now to help them with the task. If only we would trust you. And Lord, today, in the name of Jesus, we do trust you and ask that you would do in us as you will so that we may carry Jesus' name to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.